to be back in the radio hot seat with you all after some time off hibernating. Uh, I recommend hibernation for everyone, not just for bears. But I am especially excited to be starting again in February. Uh, I'll give a bit of an introduction in this first episode in case it's your first time listening. I started way back in February 2011, which I'll do the math for you was 10 years ago, a whole decade. I can't believe it. Yes, I'm an old bear. Uh, Boston Free Radio launched back then, and my pal Stumpy and I started with them with the secret lives of stuffed animals. When Stumpy moved, I reinvented the show and uh, opened the doors to Mr. Bear's Violet Hour Saloon again in February. That was 2014. And now here we are, February 2021, and I'm kicking off the next decade. Uh, They say the first hundred years is the hardest, right? So I'm a tenth of the way there. Okay. Um, Yes, I will will make uh, jokes that aren't really funny. That's, That's what I do. But um, uh, anyway, thanks, thanks for, for bearing with me. <laughs> that's, that's one of the jokes I like to make. Uh, uh, and anyway, um, uh, I've spruced things up a bit for this relaunch. Uh, kind of like getting a haircut, you know, just uh, take a little off the back, trim the ends, maybe add some highlights. Uh, but, you know, I'm the same, same old bear. Um, I do have a theme song intro music now, so hope you like that. I'm feeling pretty fancy pants about it. Uh, I'm still going to have great words and music for you, but also more interviews and some other featured segments that uh, I'll explain as they come along. And I just plan on having some fun and hope it brings you a little joy and artistic nourishment. Uh, Basically, I hope to feed your soul a little and help you feel less depleted by the world and whatever drains you. I think, especially in today's world, with the 24-7 news cycle and constant screens and a barrage of information and stimuli and a phone in the hand or paw and computers and go, 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 we're really disconnected from nature and a more cosmic rhythm. So uh, getting back in touch with my bear roots, the new schedule for this show is going to be on a lunar schedule. I'll have new episodes for you on the new moon and full moon each month. Uh, this first one's kicking off on the full moon of February. Uh, hopefully we can connect together to that rhythm of waxing and waning. and You can take a little time from your busy and overwhelming schedules to breathe in the moonlight with me and experience the power of words and music. And uh, why the moon, you ask? Well, there's the beauty and mystery and poetry of it. Uh, I mean, it's so beautiful to look at, right? Uh, 
And there's the cycle from new moon to waxing crescent to first quarter to waxing gibbous. Isn't gibbous a great word? To full moon to waning gibbous to third quarter to waning crescent back to new moon to waxing crescent and on and on and around and around. Uh, I just I just love love that that loop. Uh, there's the power of the moon to affect the tides. I mean, how cool is that? These huge bodies of water pulled by that, that little moon up there. And uh, the human body is mostly water. I'm a stuffed animal. No water. I don't even like to get wet, but uh, I feel the pull of the moon. So I'm, I'm pretty sure people do too. And I already mentioned the disconnect from nature in our industrialized society. But now in these corona times, uh, so many of us are separated physically from loved ones and general social interaction. Uh, I think the need for connection is even greater. Um, I see the moon as something tangible we can share. We can all look up at the sky and it's the same moon we all see. Um, well, you philosophers out there might have something to say about whether or not we see anything the same. But anyway, we can all go look at the moon and we're connected somehow. I think Linda Ronstadt sang about that. So I hope this show will bring you a feeling of connection, that you're not alone, that we're all out here howling at the moon. As I like to say, making the lonely a little more bearable. Um, but uh, enough of introductions and rambling. Let's uh, let's get to the good stuff. I have a great show for you tonight. The featured writer is Megan Giddings. The featured musician is Annie Sudev, and I have an original writing prompt for you from Kathy Fish. I know. Can you even believe that lineup? Also, I just realized I said tonight, uh, I'm actually recording this in the morning, uh, but, you know, uh, a, a decade of doing a show at night will do that to you. Anyway, whatever time of day or night you're listening, I am so excited to be featuring the wonderful writer Megan Giddings and her beautiful debut novel, Lakewood, that came out last year. Uh, I featured Megan on the show uh, some years ago, and I am just thrilled to be able to read to you from her book. Um, I'm, I'm not reading you the whole book, although I would love to. Uh, I'm going to you know, jump, jump around um, and read some different chapters, but uh, I'll, read, I'll read the inside uh, book flap to give you a little background setting before I start. Okay. Lakewood by Megan Giddings, uh, and this is uh, published by Amistad of HarperCollins, so you can you can get your own copy. Um, a startling debut about class and race, Lakewood evokes a terrifying world of medical experimentation, part The Handmaid's Tale, part the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. When Lena Johnson's beloved grandmother dies and the full extent of the family debt is revealed, the black millennial drops out of college to support her family and takes a job in the mysterious and remote town of Lakewood, Michigan. On paper, her new job is too good to be true. All Lena has to do is participate in a secret research program full of seemingly world-changing discoveries. An eye drop that makes brown eyes blue. A medication that could be a cure for dementia. Golden pills promised to make all bad thoughts go away. But the consequences for the subjects involved could be devastating. 
As the truths of the program reveal themselves, Lena learns how much she is willing to sacrifice for the sake of her family. Provocative and thrilling, Lakewood is a breathtaking novel that takes an unflinching look at the horror that has been forced on black bodies in the name of science. Okay, let's uh, get started. I'm going to begin in the middle of chapter six. Dr. Maggie started the next session by handing Lena two pills. In her hand, they were shiny and black as night. Held up to the light, they were forest green. She washed both down with a full glass of water. They tasted like nothing. Your mouth might feel a little curdled around an hour after taking these. That sounds disgusting. It's really the best word for it. Lena rubbed her forehead, yawned. She could use another cup or two of coffee. And if you get a headache, you have to tell me immediately. The doctor handed her a list to memorize. Golden caviar, dead lipstick, broken space station, chocolate love seat. What does it mean if I have a headache? Do you? Dr. Maggie's eyebrows raised, her mouth parted. No, I'm fine. What Lena hadn't anticipated was how annoying it was to not know what was going on. She wanted to make this work out, to get into whatever the Lakewood project was. It didn't matter that Dr. Lisa's questions were mostly about killing. They were just questions. Lena decided she would care when the doctor handed her a gun and said, you have to shoot one of us. Dr. Maggie made her feel unexpectedly closer to her mother. It was probably a small taste of what it was like to be her, trying to sort out her health. Here's a doctor throwing a bunch of tests at you and telling you nothing substantial. You're expected to trust them, but they haven't given you a single reason to believe that they care about you. It's like a word search to them. Well, to you, it's everything. Dr. Maggie handed her a book. We need to wait an hour now before doing anything else. The book was about a woman traveling the world on her 45th birthday. She wanted to understand something new about life. The main character had just got divorced, and traveling was a thing she said that people did after divorces. They did something their spouse would have hated, like a train trip across the country. They went to the Great Wall of China and thought about how it could be seen from space, and how they would never be seen from space, and that was sad, but somehow life-affirming. The book was boring, but it made Lena want to get a divorce. The time afterwards seemed wild and glamorous. When the hour was up, Lena repeated the parts of the list she remembered. Caviar. Dead. Broken space station. Chocolate. Dr. Maggie checked her blood pressure, the inside of her mouth and asked if her eyes or vagina felt painfully dry. Thankfully, no, Lena replied. Then we can go on to part two. She pulled out a large needle and injected a clear fluid into Lena's arm. Make a fist five times really fast. The doctor watched her as she did it. Lena yawned. The doctor kept staring. Lena's left arm itched. She checked it for a rash, hives. Then heat burning. A wildfire spread from the middle of her left arm to her fingers up her shoulder. Lena's mouth was saying a blur of, oh my god, help fucking what? And sounds that in her pain she hoped she wouldn't remember making. She was on the floor in a ball. The doctor was writing notes, pen moving fast. Her mouth was moving. Lena sweated from the pain. It was in her throat, claws out, scuttling quickly to her face. I'm going to die, she thought. And for the first time in her life, she wasn't being dramatic when she thought it a spasm in her lower back. Her mouth and face were wet from drool and tears. It was over. Lena's vagina ached. She was relieved when she felt down there that she hadn't peed. 
Now tell me, Dr. Maggie said, eyes still on her sheet, which of those phrases do you remember? What was that? I said, what do you remember? Caviar, couch, dead, broken, golden caviar. And then her feet were moving. She was in the hallway. If Lena could have sprinted, she would have. Her fingers were pressing against the wall, leaving sweaty prints. There was loud air coming through vents, and a noise Lena realized was the sound of her breathing. A woman was standing in the middle of the hallway, wearing gray workout clothes identical to Lena's. Mom? Lena asked. Her mother's skin was gleaming as if it were freshly lotioned, her hair in fresh braids. I don't feel well. Lena vomited, looked up, shook her head. It wasn't her mother. The woman was significantly taller, at least ten years younger. She took another long look at Lena and sprinted away. She went to one of the doors and slammed it behind her. Lena followed, tried the door, but it was locked. Please, I'm sick, Lena said. If someone had asked her, she could not have said why it was so important to get this woman to acknowledge her. Maybe it was to think about anything other than what had just happened, or how much her body still hurt. She knocked again on the door. In the instructional material, they had talked about the need for isolation. From beneath the door came the sounds of what could have been a documentary or maybe a podcast. A man's voice talking about recycling in plastic bottles that would be on the earth for longer than anyone could ever possibly live. She leaned against the door, shut her eyes. When Lena opened her eyes, she was being shaken awake in her bed. Two people she didn't recognize were looking down at her. Their faces were hard to see in the dark. Only their white teeth and the shine of their eyes were visible at first. Don't be scared, a woman's voice said. It was soft and kind, as if she were speaking to a child she loved. Lena coughed. She sat up, rubbed her eyes. It's time to do some work a man's voice said. They led Lena to a room on the second floor that reminded her of a TV police station. She stood yawning and blinking while looking through what she assumed was a one-way glass. I am not afraid, Lena told herself. This is the place where I want to be. I'm okay. The man was checking his watch as if he had somewhere important to go. Lena yawned again, her jaw popping a little with its force. Five men of East Asian descent walked into the glassed-in area. They faced forward. The lights in the area got brighter. Do you recognize any of these men? Lena stared at each man carefully, understanding they were asking her about the man she had seen the first day, the one who had asked her to remember his face. Two of the men had unshaved necks, but none had the birthmark she had noticed earlier. No, she said. They thanked her and took her back to her room. In bed, she tried to figure out what day it was. She remembered talking to a man about how to make your brain louder than usual, how to force it to talk at someone. And Lena had been confused. That sounds like comic book shit, she had started to say before correcting the word to stuff. He had laughed and said, no, like when your best friend has something stuck in her teeth and you look at her face and suddenly she understands something is wrong with her face. But when was that? And when had they given her the injection? And had that happened once or twice? The light softened with the beginning of another day. Lena went to the desk and wrote, Dear Tanya, on the open page. She flipped to the beginning. Dear Tanya, read her handwriting, I had grilled shrimp for lunch today. They were overcooked, but shrimp is my pizza. Always good. Dear Tanya, another injection day. I woke up and my grandmother was here in this room. She was humming to herself and reading a magazine. Told me that a celebrity couple was breaking up. 
and if those cute white people couldn't hold it together, who could anymore? She flipped the page, looked up at me, and said, Are you sure this is the right thing for you? And then she was gone. I woke up. I'm glad you'll never read this. We would have to talk about it for hours. Sometimes dreams are not omens. They're just your brain stitching things together. Lena's fingers trembled. She kept reading. Sometimes her handwriting was as it always was, upright, straight, easy to read. But there were times when it was clear she had written while still in pain, fingers cramped, palm trembling. Dear Tanya, today we talked about grieving. I thought about my grandma's voice, her laugh, the way she said the word raccoon, the emphasis on the oon, the way she said vase, as if it didn't rhyme with the word face, how she was the one I always wanted to show my grades to, to talk about the future, who knew exactly what I was thinking. At her funeral, I didn't really have the time to cry. I had to take care of everything and everyone else. I hoped that talking about her, especially to someone whose emotions I didn't care about, would make it all burst open, all big and embarrassing, body curving in on itself, sobbing. But my voice stayed still. Tanya, I am making $3,000 this week. It would have taken me probably all summer to do that as Ms. Blue Cornship. Last night, Tanya, they woke me up at what felt like three in the morning, and they made me run until I felt nauseated. My heart was in my ears, and I swore I heard an explosion. Whoosh! Bang! I realized it was my heart, and I had heard myself dying. I closed my eyes, and when I opened them, I was drinking a large glass of orange juice, and it tasted so good. I used a white towel to wipe off all the sweat on my face. It was the softest towel I've used in my entire life. One of the doctor's fingers was on my wrist. There was a mark on my hand, a new bruise that looked like Pac-Man. After I told her everything I felt, after I repeated the phrases again, I talked to my mother on the phone. They watched as I did it. I told her things were very quiet here at the professor's house. She told me that she really liked the picture of the plant I had sent her. He's got great taste in foliage. We both laughed at what she said. Desiree told me she also had been dreaming of my grandma. They had baked a pie together. Inside was apple and old telephone cords. In the dream, my grandma said we were going to need extra luck this year. Said to do that, she needed to paint at least one room in the house green. I told her not to do it. Paint smell was a known headache trigger for her, and she was just getting over a migraine she described as like a tsunami. You sound tired, she kept saying. And when I was off the phone, the doctors told me I was a natural. More and more pages. Sometimes her handwriting was an illegible scrawl. Another page where she had written the word blood in large capital letters, and two paragraphs down. If I don't get an ice cream sundae soon, I will throw myself out a window. How could I, Lena thought, only have been here a week? Dear Tanya, I sat in a dark room for an entire hour. I had a blindfold on. I was asked to write down all the sounds I heard. When they took the fabric off my eyes, a man wearing a top hat and gray lipstick was sitting in the chair across from me. Talk to me about sex. Do you like it? Are you scared of it? A person came in wearing one of those terrible unicorn masks and asked me about risk-taking. How often was I scared? Would I ever go bungee jumping? What were my rational fears? Then everything was twisting and I saw colors on the walls, lavender, orange, fruit punch, red. My spine was sparking with pain. All I wanted was to lie on a hardwood floor, stay still until it all floated away. 
Lena covered her eyes. Deja vu spread across her like sunlight pushing through a set of blinds. How many times had she done this, looked at memories written by herself, felt the same mix of confusion and annoyance and fear? Did she think every time this was worth it as long as I'm taking care of my mom? She hoped so. You're watching the world through her screen. There's always something in between. You had what's happening. Oh, direct experiences hard to find. Technology, symbols and signs. Telling us what to think, what to buy, and how to comb our hair. What to drink, when to line up our senses so we don't care. We'll watch the pavement grow. We'll watch the pavement grow. Watch it on a screen, watch the world die. The headlines will tell us it's all fine. The system is at work in our defense against the earth. And we'll watch the pavement grow. So That was Annie Sudev with Watching the World Through a Screen. Chapter 15 Last night, I had a dream a doctor performed wide-awake surgery on me. He pulled apricot after apricot from my abdomen and throat. When he was done, the scar on my stomach looked like a diamond bracelet. He said I had to come back every time I have an ache there, or if I pee more than six times in a day. Those would be signs I was growing apricots again. The doctor lifted an apricot up to me. It was perfect and unblemished. He bit into it and it hurt me so bad. I said, that's a part of me, but he didn't care. He took another bite. Juice dripped down his chin. Dr. Lisa took notes. What do you think that means? I don't really know. Lena looked up at the ceiling. Maybe it's insecurities about my body, or maybe I'm worried about getting sick like my grandma. It doesn't take a genius to leap from a dream about things growing in my body to... She paused. Cancer. Lena still hated the word. Dr. Lisa's hand rested on the desk between them. I feel like you're really starting to be less guarded in these sessions. Thank you, Lena said. She stopped herself from raising her eyebrows at the implication that before she had been dishonest. Dr. Lisa poured Lena a glass of water and set it next to her hand. Let's shift over to hypotheticals. Say there's an earthquake or tornado. What happens if one neighborhood is spared? Do they start thinking it was a miracle? Do they try to find the cause or just enjoy their luck? I don't think I could speak for an entire neighborhood. Lena waited for the doctor to prompt her to talk about what she would do, or to pull out more pictures. Tell me what you see. Another thought experiment. When I say viper, you say... The dim light in the office made Dr. Lisa's pupils and irises indistinguishable. What if a friend told you all the mailmen in her neighborhood were spies? They read her mail, including the catalogs. She is sure they're keeping track of her entire life. Would you believe her? Lena scratched the side of her face. 
Only her? And does she have a theory about why she's so special? Only her. Does she have proof? Just her word. I... <sighs> Lena exhaled, shook her head. In the scenario, have I been in her neighborhood? Because maybe if I'd been there, and if there was a weird vibe, I might be more likely to believe her. But if I'd never been there, I would think about nice but frank ways to talk to her about her mental health and how I wanted her to be okay. The fingernail on Dr. Lisa's ring finger was unusually long, as if she had forgotten to cut it for over a month. She seemed unimpressed by Lena's answer. Let's circle back. If a neighborhood has suffered a disaster, maybe a flood, maybe something that makes it much harder for them to live, whatever, how many people do you think find a new faith? And not just in Jesus, but in their government. I doubt I would, but I think a lot of people turn to God when things are really bad. The skin beneath Lena's cast itched. She held herself still. How do you think people would react if they found out the government purposefully waited to help? Why would they wait? It's their job to take care of their people. Is it? Yes. Lena shook her head. Her toes were cold from the air conditioning. You're talking about total devastation. How do you think they will react? Dr. Lisa picked up her pen and clicked it a few times. Lena folded up. An ankle tucked beneath her butt, her arms crossed so each hand was resting on the opposite shoulder. Her lips so dry it felt as if they were withering. Dr. Lisa wrote something down. I think people would lose faith, Lena said finally. They would be outraged. Well, it depends on the people affected. Let's move on. Lena repositioned herself, uncoiled. Arms at her sides, feet back on the ground. How do you think people will react when a small amount of the population can get a shot that extends their lifespan? You know, keeps them younger longer. 20 years from now, 70 could be the new 35 for the rich. People your age could make money by regularly selling blood to help older people delay their aging. I would much rather sell some rich old lady my blood than doing a lot of the stuff we do here. Is selling your blood that much different from what you're doing here? Dr. Lisa's reading glasses slipped down the bridge of her nose. Her pen was on the desk. An alarm chimed on Dr. Lisa's phone like a kitchen timer going off. It sounded like the one Lena's grandma used to have, shaped like a lemon, that was always falling in the space between the refrigerator and the oven. No, not really, Lena cleared her throat. Wouldn't it be better than what you're doing? You would get to just sit in a chair, probably watch TV and get your blood drawn, and they would probably give you free sugar cookies, juice. Dr. Lisa laughed. She pushed her glasses up. I think that would be a little too boring for me. She tilted her head. What do you think we're doing here? I don't know, Lena said. Sometimes it feels like you're just torturing us. She laughed, but the doctor didn't join in. What do you really think? Dr. Lisa touched Lena's forearm. Lena jerked away. Sorry, I'm just jumpy. Lena tried to make her body and face soft. Dr. Lisa withdrew her hand. Her eyebrows were raised and the left corner of her mouth was turning up. She made eye contact with Lena. This was a good session. When Lena left the office, the second floor hallway was empty. Usually there was at least one observer riding on a clipboard, or someone else was waiting to go into a session with Dr. Lisa. It was like being in a store and finding out you had somehow been locked in for the night. There were eight rooms off the hallway, but Lena had only been in three. The upstairs conference room, Dr. Lisa's office, and the small room where different medical equipment was rotated in and out. She walked toward the stairwell, paused. The doctor's door was shut. Lena looked around, but did not see any video cameras. 
It would be so easy, risky, to walk past the doors she hadn't been in, peek inside. It was so easy that Lena paused and considered whether the situation itself was an experiment. Will you do what we ask when you think we're not looking? On a scale of one to ten, how loyal are you? On a scale of one to ten, how curious have you been about the purpose of all this? How loyal are you now that you know more about us? Fuck it, Lena muttered as she walked in the direction she had never gone before. I'm looking for a bathroom. It's an emergency. I'm so sorry, she told herself once, twice, and had it ready to say in case she ran into anyone. The first door was closed. She hovered for a moment. Inside, someone was typing loudly, a person's muffled voice. Walked past the next door. Turning the corner to the right, she heard the sound of kids talking, playing. A door was open, and natural light seeped out into the hallway. On the door was a picture of a group of kids, about ten. Below that, posters of three different letters dressed to look like people. M wearing a top hat, A with pigtails and holding an umbrella, and a letter Lena didn't recognize, like a combination of a Z and an E. A few of the kids were speaking English. Some others were speaking a language Lena couldn't guess. She peeked in. On the wall were more posters, a picture of an apple with the word apple beneath it in English, and below that, in presumably the language they were speaking. A jumble of letters and symbols, other pictures of a dog, a violin, a slice of cake, there were eight small desks, a larger one for an adult, with a few adult-sized chairs placed around the room, and a container filled with Legos that was big enough a kid could get completely covered in them. A boy was standing alone in a corner, holding a soccer ball and whispering to it, I hate you, Dad, I hate you, Dad. Two girls were holding dolls. The dolls and the girls were wearing name tags, Madison F. and Madison T., the girls were whispering to the dolls. The girl on the left, with eyes like polished brown stones, looked up at Lena. She waved, made her doll wave, too. I awoke to the shaking, but the worst and found. hold out. I thought you'd see it through. You made us feel many miles away. It's what we needed. It's what you gave to us. A way of sobriety in a world fucked up. Truly a light in this world of darkness. Signposts I have not forgotten. Now the kids must reach farther to realize. Hope to God. They can survive this. That was Annie Sudev with Lamentations, that childhood patch of woods that no longer exists. Chapter 18 Memorize the following words and phrases. Pink slip, froideur, sinking. The eyes tell the brain what to devour. Dr. Lisa cleared her throat. 7. Wrapping Paper Excursion In the attic, you can smell the seeds. Do whatever you need to remember these phrases. Write them down, recite them. We're going to ask you to repeat them throughout the day. The doctor repeated the phrases over and over. 
Lena wrote them down on the back of her Day 47 form. In her fake life, she was taking a warehouse safety seminar. On the long conference room table were clear containers filled with small gray pills. Low dosage, minimal risk. But if you do experience a headache, confusion, disorientation, you need to tell us as quickly as possible. You will be observed throughout the day. No shit, Lena mouthed to Charlie. He grinned. Dr. Lisa's eyes were on her sheet of paper. She kept looking up, her eyes drifting from a woman with thick black eyebrows that made her look pissed off, to pancake butt, to Smith. The paper in her hands fluttered a little. She was shaking. There was a tension in the air that was not aimed at the study participants. It felt like being seated at a restaurant near a couple who had obviously fought in the car, but refused to take an L on that particular date. Lena touched the side of Charlie's hand. He turned toward her, and she mouthed, "'What's going on?' He shook his head slightly, mouthed something back that looked like ice cream sandwich. "'Do you have any questions?' Dr. Lisa asked. "'How will you be able to tell the difference between me now and me under the pills effects?' Judy laughed at her own joke. Dr. Lisa smiled faintly and asked, "'Any real questions?' "'Pink slip, foie sinking,' Mariah whispered. "'Can I ask a question?' Lena raised her hand. You just did, Charlie muttered. If I decided to opt out of the study halfway through, what would happen? You can't opt out. Lena kept her face measured, nodded. I have another question. Dr. Lisa raised her eyebrows. Shoot. What is foidure? A word. It's not important. It can be used to describe a falling out between people. Lena turned. Smith's eyes were on his clipboard. It's like a frostiness, being reserved, I think. Sure, whatever, Dr. Lisa scratched her neck. It's time to get started. Lena picked up her pill, put it in her mouth, and kept it beneath her tongue. It tasted like the stuff dentists used to numb the mouth when filling a cavity. Seven, wrapping paper, exercise. Excursion, Tom corrected. Wait, no, exercise. Excursion? Ian rubbed his head. The pill was starting to dissolve in Lena's mouth. She took her water bottle and went to the break room. Lena turned on the sink faucet and put her mouth to it. She let the water run on her cheek, opened her mouth wide. The water, like most water in Lakewood, had a tang to it. The partially dissolved pill dropped out of her mouth into the sink. The water's force pushed it down into the drain. When she came back with a full water bottle, Lena said to Judy, My mouth feels like it's wearing a raincoat. My tongue tastes like metals. Judy took the bottle from Lena's hands, squeezed some into her mouth. It dropped onto her chin, down onto her blouse. Ian was going through his desk drawers over and over as if he was looking for something. Charlie was flipping between a spreadsheet and what looked like his research for fantasy football. Mariah was singing the phrase, In the attic you can smell the seeds, over and over in a flat tone while watching a video of someone meditating. Lena sat down. She took all the pens out of the cup on her desk, arranged them to look like a square, a house, an L. The woman Lena called angry eyebrows tapped her on the shoulder. Dr. Lisa would like to see you. The two of them walked up the stairs, Lena's sandals slapping and asking for attention with each step. Dr. Lisa was adjusting her air conditioning unit. I can't get it to stop blowing directly on my face. Crank it to the left, said Angry Eyebrows. No, right, Lena said. 
There were piles of folders and notebooks strewn across the doctor's desk. A photo of Dr. Lisa with kids peeked out of one. A little boy was holding a soccer ball. He was smiling and missing a front tooth. He looked so much happier here, not as if he was about to clutch the ball closer and start whispering, I hate you, Dad. Dr. Lisa sat down. I used to teach kindergarten. She touched her hair as if checking to see if anything was out of place. Lena made eye contact. What was your favorite part of that? So I gave you some things to memorize. Sinking Fodur Pink Slip. One of my best friends is going to be a teacher. What made you choose kindergarten over middle school? Dr. Lisa checked a box, wrote a note. And the other set? Headache, wrapping paper, swamp. Do you have a headache? Nope. Dr. Lisa handed Lena a form. On a scale of 0 to 10, with 0 being complete apathy and 10 being intense focus, how much effort have you put into memorizing the words? Lena wrote 5. She peeked at Dr. Lisa. The other woman was staring into the distance, chewing on the end of her pen. Which word did you find easiest to memorize? What did you have for breakfast? Were you experiencing mouth pain? How easy was it to focus? The doctor was looking at angry eyebrows. What did you have for breakfast? Are you okay? Lena asked while writing down the word toast. She crossed it out and wrote cereal. What? Never mind. Lena wrote on the form, Of course I showered. Sometimes I wonder if this is all a box inside a box, Dr. Lisa said. Nesting doll style. The doctor had a birthmark in her left eye. A dark asteroid orbiting the light iris. She was looking up at the ceiling. Lena followed her gaze. I feel the same way, Lena said, a lot lately. I think it's why this has been so hard. She set the pen down on the table. You know, you really remind me so much of my best friend from college. She was tough like you. Hard to connect with, but if she loved you, like really, really loved you, she would climb a mountain for you. Lena smiled. Lately, Dr. Lisa stopped. She looked at angry eyebrows, the ceiling, her door. A knock at the door. Smith poked his head in. Is everything okay in here? The doctor's eyes watered. Look over the phrases and make sure to let me know immediately if you have a headache. Smith lingered in the doorway, his hand near the light switch. We're fine, Dr. Lisa said. She pulled out a pillbox and explained that this is a slightly higher dosage. Everyone would be given different dosages from what they were given this morning. She had Lena say, Pink slip, foie the eyes tell the brain what to devour. In the attic, you can smell the seeds. The doctor handed Lena a small paper cup with two pills in it. This round of pills is chewable, she said. Lena covered the small cup with her hand. She tried to figure out how to slide one into her hand, didn't think she could get away with palming one. You can't leave until we watch you take them. She put the first pill up to her lips. It smelled like vitamins. When she chewed, it tasted terrible, as if someone had sprayed lemon-scented cleaning spray directly into her mouth. Both pills left a layer on Lena's tongue. Smith's eyes and the doctor's were on her mouth. Lena chewed with her mouth open, hoped it looked disgusting. This tastes like shampoo in my mouth. Lena was taken downstairs. She sat at her desk, read an email from Judy about how to keep the microwave clean, tried to think of the words they had told her to remember. The only one she could remember was Fordur. There was a slimy feeling, radiating down from her brain to her sinuses to her esophagus. Lena gagged, took a drink of water. 
She turned to Judy. Why did you send that email? You said that three minutes ago. Stop messing with me. I'm not, Judy said. She scrunched her face up as if she was smelling something disgusting. When did I go see Dr. Lisa? That was over an hour ago. No, it wasn't. Lena blinked. She touched her hair and it felt like another hour passed as her fingers felt the strands, traced over the S and Z shapes her curls fell in. Judy was talking, but Lena couldn't understand the words she was saying. What did her scalp look like underneath all her hair? What if she cut it all off? Dark, thick clumps on a shiny white floor? Would it look like blood? Judy turned back to her computer. Lena typed an email. She browsed online, looked at her tabs. She had opened the same article about an abandoned amusement park taken over by feral cats seven times. She had replied twice to Judy's email about the microwave with a gif of a champagne tower. Dr. Lisa said it was boxes inside of boxes. And what if that meant that she too was in an experiment? But what did that mean for everyone? She clicked a link to an interesting article about an amusement park. Did you know that Charlie has been eating my yogurt? Judy held an empty container in front of Lena's face. No, I've been eating your yogurt. You don't like key lime. Judy smiled. It faltered. Lena, honey, I think your dosage is too high. I feel like they gave me the gas and I want to lean my head on everything. Lena laughed. It came out high and silly. She couldn't stop laughing. She stood up, sat down, tried to stand again, but her legs gave out. She hit her back on the chair's seat. She tried to pull herself up, but her legs flopped and kicked. She moved her arms breaststroke style. People were yelling. Lena tried to tell them that they needed to ask her to smile, to say something complicated, to write something. People didn't just fall. Her mouth refused to do what her brain said. It spoke only in gurgles and moans. Charlie took her hands. Are you okay? Lena's head felt like someone was pushing it. She slapped at the area above it, but no one was there. Felt tears coming out of her eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. She reached for her face to wipe away the wet, but Charlie grabbed her hands and kept them still. Dr. Lisa bent over her. Some of the observers were pushing everyone back. Some were taking feverish notes. I need help, Lena meant to say. But it came out as wrapping paper. I am so sick and tired of people treating other people badly because they think they are above them. I am so sick and tired of people treating other people badly because they think they are above them. It's in our history. It's in our foundation. It's in the air we breathe. Most obvious in poverty. It's in the hospitals, the prison, and the church. It's in our neighborhoods, our friendships, and our work. But why expect it in some places? When I see it in safe spaces It seems in every scene there's titles To gain spoken or unspoken There is fame We climb the ladder like it's a game I am so sick and tired Of people treating other people badly Because they think they are above them Maybe it's the cops Maybe it's the herbalist Maybe it's the punks there's so much entitlement, I'm not saying it's all equal Some are worse by definition But if we're looking like them, what does that say? If we're looking like them, what does that say? 
I'm so sick and tired of people treating other people badly because they think they are above them. I know your baggage is heavy. I know because mine is heavy. I know your baggage is heavy. I am so sick and tired. That was Annie Sudev with Power Dynamics. So now I'm really excited to uh, take a break here and introduce you to Miss Mousy. And Miss Mousy is a two-dimensional hand-drawn mouse who loves plants and is studying herbalism. Miss Mousy's apothecarium is on the moon, and we're gonna go visit her and um, get some ideas about uh, teas. Tinctures, elixirs, different fun herbal concoctions uh, that she's gonna come up with based on the writing and music in the Violet Hour. Um, so you know we're just gonna have a little fun with that, and um, this uh, this is gonna be a regular feature on the show called Miss Mousy's Apothecarium. And um, by way of a little background here to the intro music uh, you're about to hear. Um, uh, when I was younger, I really liked the, um, the Muppets had a segment called, uh, Pigs in Space, kind of a, um, uh, soap opera Star Trek parody with, with pigs. And, um, what, uh, I didn't actually particularly care about the segment itself, but I loved how it started, the Pigs in Space, so, uh, you'll, you'll, kind of see. You'll, you'll hear why I'm mentioning that now in, in a moment. Um, but anyway, let's, um, let's hop on the theremin and, uh, go, go see Miss Mousy. And, uh, uh, one, one more digression here in case you don't know what a theremin is. Uh, it's a musical instrument, so it's, it's not actually, um, a vehicle, but, um, uh, music is a vehicle that transports us to other places and times so I think um, I think we can we can travel by by theremin in the violet hour and uh, for anyone who doesn't know a theremin is an electronic instrument uh, was invented in the 1920s by Leon theremin or well, that's the anglicized version of his name um, and you don't touch it there's no contact playing it there's antenna and you move your hands or paws to disturb the electromagnetic fields and you're probably familiar with the eerie sounds it can make uh, from sci-fi and horror movies, but it can also be played as a classical instrument and uh, as a very interesting history, so uh, it's uh, worth worth looking up, checking out. But anyway, we're going to hop on the old theremin here and get to Miss Mousy's apothecary. Miss Mousy, good to see you. How's your ride? Oh, that was good. I like the Thurman. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, anyway, I've been I've been listening to these chapters from Lakewood. It's a beautiful book by Megan Giddings. Yeah, isn't it? I just love it. But um, that Lena's sure having a hard time. Um, it's uh, she's in a tough spot. So I'm 
I've been been thinking this whole time you were reading, and um, I've come up with a, a tea blend and a tincture blend for her. And um, you know, of course, um, herbs don't fix uh, racism and systemic injustice, and you know, all of all of those kinds of problems. But um, I'm hoping we can can give Lena a little support at least. Uh, so the the tea blend I came up with is one part each of wood betony, tulsi, and motherwort, and a half part each of yarrow and sage. Um, great, Miss Mousy. Uh, can can you tell us why why you picked those those plants? Uh, sure. I'll I'll just um I'll give you a little little shorthand description. It's oversimplifying, of course. I mean, you know, plants are so complex and beautiful and wonderful. Um, but uh, I'll I'll try to try to sum it up uh, for little sound bites. Um, so wood betony for grounding in the body, tulsi for stress support and rewiring the brain after trauma, motherwort for boundaries, yarrow for emotional armor, and sage for warming and emotional release, and um, also to help so you don't feel so alone in the universe. Oh, I, I like that, uh, Miss Mousy. Um, maybe, maybe sage uh, should be my my um, my 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 herb for my my show, cause I'm all about you know trying to connect connect us all, so we don't feel so alone in the universe. Uh, yeah, well, I think sage would be a great choice for that, Mister Bear. And uh, what's so nice is sage is is something you can find, you know, even in your grocery store in the winter. Um, when, you know, you're not finding as many other plants growing, but, uh, it will be spring soon, so, you know, um, have a little hope. Oh, you said you had a tincture blend too, Miss Mousy. Uh, yes, I, um, I thought, you know, tincture bottle is, is nice, it could, you can put it in your pocket and, uh, very portable, and I thought, you know, Lena could have it with her throughout the day. Um, so, uh, tincture. Uh, I was thinking equal parts fresh motherwort, tulsi, and yarrow tinctures, a dried hawthorn berry and rosebud tincture, and a splash of hawthorn thorn tincture. Uh, so, that all, all blended up together. And again, motherwort for boundaries, tulsi for stress support and rewiring the brain after trauma, yarrow for emotional armor, hawthorn and rose for grief and heart protection, and uh, hawthorn thorns for, for extra heart protection, because uh, I think Lena's heart really needs some protecting. That sounds great, Miss Mousy. Uh, how do these things taste? I think they taste quite nice, Mr. Bear, but, you know, people um, need to try things for themselves. Not everybody uh, likes the same things. Are you making any medical claims here, Miss Mousy? Um, Mr. Bear, I think you know the answer to that. No, I'm not a doctor. I'm a two-dimensional hand-drawn mouse who's studying herbalism. Um, but uh, the plants have a lot to teach us, so, you know... I encourage you and everybody to pay attention to the plants. Well, thanks again, Miss Mousy. Um, I really appreciate you uh, 
making up this uh these these formulas for us. Well, you're welcome, Mr. Bear, anytime. And uh, I hear uh, I hear you're starting a zine. Yes, I am. It's in the works. Um, it's it's going to be called Miss Mousie's Apothecarium and uh, feature a different herb each month. Oh, that that sounds wonderful. Uh, when's the first issue? Um, well, hopefully in March. I'll keep you posted, Mr. Bear. Well, thanks again, Miss Mousie. Thank you. Come back again, and don't forget to drink some tea. The tree is ripped from the ground. How can we forgive with no roots found? If I commit to you, will you commit to me? And if we disagree, will you inside me? with no roots. Chapter 24 Day 63 One of the warehouse employees was caught smoking a joint in the parking lot. He spent the rest of the day taking Great Lakes shipping required online training about drug use in the workplace. Tanya, Charlie's still not here. Every morning since I've come back, I've been worrying that sitting at his desk would be a man who kind of looked like him. The man would tell me he was Charlie. The observers would watch and see if I was willing to argue that he was not the Charlie I knew. At lunch, I stole a yogurt in his honor and asked Mariah and Tom if they knew what was going on. Mariah stepped on my foot, gently, said he was on vacation. Tom looked around and started talking about sourdough bread, how you had to keep it alive like it was a goldfish. They spoke to each other with growing excitement about yeast and starters, bread bowls, pancakes. I ate my yogurt, hearing the message that I should just shut up, behave. After work, I went for another run. One of the most striking things about Lakewood is how clean it is. No graffiti, 
no pop cans or cigarette butts lingering on the grass. The sidewalks are uncomfortably clean. No birds or dogs have dared to poop on it. Not a stray piece of spat-out gum. It was hot out. The humidity in the past weeks of not enough sleep made me heavy. As I ran, my feet argued with my brain. They kept trying to turn in. It had never taken effort like this before to get my body to obey me. My left leg was going limp and I had to stop. I flopped on a bench. The flyers were gone. Not a scrap of hot pink paper on any tree trunks or lampposts. I was on the verge of panicking but was telling myself over and over, my legs were just tired, it was normal, it was fine. How long does it take for lying to yourself to work? I held my sides. I walked down the street, turned the corner and went back to the donut shop. The biggest table in the restaurant was filled with old-timers. In the middle was the woman who might be a reporter. She was taking notes as the old men argued about Lakewood's history. They started up with the curse stuff again. One said it was from the Ojibwe. In this version of the story, they had cursed the white men who had forced them off these fields. Their last acts were to pray retribution befell everyone who dared live here. There was a flurry of men interpreting each other. Dead girls in streams, unusual amounts of cancer. Their fathers had grown up talking about a man with a dog's head terrorizing the woods. One said, Maybe these stories are still around because it's the only way we can talk about the consequences of the past without feeling responsible for our present actions. The rest ignored him. I got a glass of ice water and went to an empty booth in the back. The drink was so cold it almost made my throat close. I coughed, pressed it against my cheeks and forehead to cool down. The older waitress there brought me a chocolate donut without asking, put down a carton of skim. I remember you, she said. I smiled at her, though I knew I would have to stop coming back. She would start asking me about my life, maybe tell people around me. The old men had stopped talking. They and the woman were looking out the large front window. Some were half-risen out of their seats. I set my water glass down, paid, and went to see what was happening outside. Standing on the sidewalk was the man with dreadlocks who had been protesting two days ago. His shirt was off. There was a large hole in his torso. His intestines were pink. Blood was circulating. There was a yellowish thing visible. Maybe his stomach or gallbladder. The top of a bone light pink and gray. He was shouting, They did this to me! They did this to me! Stop letting them control this town! I felt faint. My brain was split between fighting my nausea and wondering how it was possible. How did his organs not flop out? How was he alive? His intestines reminded me of hot dogs. And in most contexts, I find hot dogs disturbing. It's the way they shine, the way they look like human meat. There were more flyers at his feet, his stomach was quivering. As I'm writing this, my fingers are shaking. My eyes are burning. The anticipation I felt that his organs would fall out onto the sidewalk, that I would see him collapse into a pile of mush or start bleeding out, keeps rushing inside me. I signed up to be in a memory experiment, but it's been so much more than that. We were simply told it's a small town and people like to talk. The pellets, the cabin, the girl the pills, my brain, the way they're making me doubt myself, reality, the secrecy. It's torture. When I got home, I texted you. I called my mom. She didn't pick up either.
Sudev with Not Above. I hope you have enjoyed this glimpse into Megan Giddings' beautiful novel, Lakewood, and uh, that you pick up your own copy and read the whole thing because it's uh, just a stunning book. Uh, it's one of my favorite books that I read last year. And you can find a link to buy it on Megan's website and you can find out more about her and her writing there too megangiddings.com that's m-e-g-a-n g-i-d-d-i-n-g-s dot com you can also pick up the book at your local independent bookstore or find it online from an independent bookseller uh, or you can also ask your library to order a few copies Um, but you know get your Get your paws on this book. And um, thank you so much to Megan for letting me share her words with you. And now it's time for a new segment to the show that I'm calling Mezze. Mezze is the Greek word for snack. You know, tidbit, morsel, a little something, something, uh old Greek men sitting in the platea, playing their tavli, swinging their kombaloi, sipping their ouzo. They have a little mazé with their ouzo. Uh, and you don't have to be an old Greek man to have mazé. Uh, anyway, so mazé is going to be a snack size interview. And today's mazé is with Annie Sudev. 
We've been listening to their beautiful music during this show, and Annie um, was kind enough to answer a few questions for me. I don't know how exactly I first learned about Annie, but it was through herbalism newsletters, and I learned about their excellent zines, and then from their website discovered the link to their music, and really loved it, and I'm so happy to share it with you today, and really excited to share a little more about Annie. Annie lives in the backwoods of southern Appalachia. They have practiced healthcare in a variety of forms as an herbalist, massage therapist, EMT, and birth assistant. They enjoy the intersection of the plant world and human wellness, and sometimes write folk songs on their baritone ukulele. This was a written interview, so I will be reading the questions and reading Annie's answers for you. 1. What is your earliest musical memory? I think my earliest memory of music is riding in a truck with my dad, windows down, probably heading to or from some hunting excursion, singing Achy Breaky Heart at the top of our lungs. I was four when this song was released by Billy Ray Cyrus, a true classic. 2. What are your five favorite sounds? Five favorite smells? Five favorite words you associate with winter? Five favorite sounds? Wood thrush songs, waking up to soft morning voices in another room, coyote cackles, six-year-olds telling knock-knock jokes, and anything from a cello. Five favorite smells, burning pine, my doggy's fur and breath, hell, even her shit ain't so bad, desert sage, my sweetie's skin, and baking bread, of course. Five favorite words I associate with winter. Wood stove, couch, usnea, the tulip trees around me shine usnea green without their leaves, Florida, because I usually adventure down there, and birthday, mine. Three, what is your songwriting process and creative practice like? A muse comes to me, gives me the words and melody at the same time, and if I don't write it down or sing it over and over within the next five minutes, the muse takes it away. Four. What obsessions did you have when you were a child? What are your current obsessions? When I was a kid, I had my sights set on playing pop songs on the piano, fighting with my brother, he always started it, reading library books, I loved the Babysitter's Club and the Boxcar Children, and smothering the various family pets. When I was six, I was given a kitten. I was totally obsessed with this cat. But as you may know, the way to a cat's heart is to let them come to you. Needless to say, this cat took to avoiding me. It was heartbreaking, but an important lesson. I was also very obsessive about the aesthetics of my room, always hanging decorations and rearranging the furniture. My mom actually put lattice over all the walls so that I could tack up whatever I wanted without making holes. Brilliant, Mama. Over the years, the pictures I hung evolved from horses and cartoons to boy bands, impressionist art, and photos of friends taken with disposable cameras. Love those. For my whole life, I've always really looked forward to growing old. It has always been a semi-obsessive undercurrent in everything I do. Around age 7, I was an old lady for Halloween. And since age 20, I have treasured each gray hair I am gifted with. I'm not sure why, but perhaps I sense that my crone years will be epic. My current obsessions include fretting about the future, 
learning palmistry, it is alarming how much our hands reveal, reading historical fiction, currently engrossed in Conjure Women by Afia Takara, planning a new garden, grinding gamasio on everything I eat, um, just a note, uh, I didn't know what that was, I looked it up and it's a, um, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the word right, it's from the Japanese, and it's a sesame seed salt, sounds delicious. Um, figuring out where the black bears den on this mountain I live on, they are so big, how do they remain so elusive, and the cartoon Gravity Falls. Number five. If you had to create a custom tea blend to capture the essence of your music, what plants would you put in and why? Hmm, I have no freaking clue. just um did this interview with Annie Sudev oh yeah I've really been enjoying her music oh uh, yeah it's great isn't it um but uh she I, I asked her to come up with uh, a tea blend to uh you know sort of capture the essence of her music uh, that's a really difficult thing to do Mr. Bear oh uh, I know oh uh, she had no freaking clue so I thought maybe you could take a stab at it Miss Mousy um well uh, I don't know about tea. I've decided to go with an elixir. Uh, what's an elixir? Um, well, there's probably some different, uh, definitions for it, but, uh, I go by, um, uh, uh, tincture and sweetness. Uh, and honey is my preferred sweetness. Uh, so I've come up with an elixir I call Dark Sunshine. Oh, that's an intriguing name. And um, it's a reishi tincture mixed with goldenrod infused honey. And so it's got kind of this dark, earthy, a little bit of bitter, almost chocolatey uh, from the reishi. And then the goldenrod, also a little bitter, but the brightness of it and um, the sweetness of the honey and uh, it's a really delicious elixir. Uh, I think uh, it's just kind of dark sunshine. And, and that's that's what um, Annie's music says to me. Well, okay. I think that sounds um, delicious. Thanks, Miss Mousy. Sure. Thanks for stopping by again. Bonus. If you were a stuffed animal, what would you be? I think I would be my favorite childhood beanie baby, Garcia Bear. He's tie-dyed and named for Jerry Garcia. I loved him. For a while, I took him everywhere, and he certainly looks that way. Apparently, these bears are worth a bunch of money now, but my particular bear is way too grimy to cash in on. Who pays for this sort of thing anyways? Although I am not a deadhead, I resonate with my tarnished Garcia bear, and I think he would much rather have had all the adventures we shared as opposed to sitting on a shelf in mint condition, increasing in monetary value. Um, as a... Uh, very worn, much-loved old bear myself. Uh, I think I can speak for Garcia Bear Annie and say, um, yes, that, that he would would much rather have had those adventures than sit on a shelf. Um, uh, so I think, I think he made the right decision there. 
Uh, thank you so much, Annie, for sharing your music and your mind with us uh, today. And that was um, that was our mise. And you can find more of Annie's music at anniesudev.bandcamp.com. That's a n n i e s e w d e v dot bandcamp dot com. Saladago flowers, they are yellow, they are bright. Present in the autumn time when dying is in sight. Leaves turn brown, fall to the ground, yellow flowers, they are all around. To remind us of the brightness we've left behind. To remind us of the brightness that lies ahead. And that was Annie Sudev with Solidago. And now to close out today's episode, I have one more new segment. Uh, this segment is called Pikilia, which is the Greek word for variety. And if, if you go to a restaurant and order the Pikilia, it's like a sampler platter. Just, you know, bring me a little bit, whatever good stuff you got. Uh, so today on the menu is an original writing prompt from Kathy Fish. And Kathy Fish is an incredible writer and teacher, famous in the flash fiction world for her workshops and her kindness and her writing, of course. And I am so excited that she came up with a prompt just for Mr. Bear's Violet Hour. So here it is. A lot of writers find themselves in a stuck place, devoid of ideas or inspiration. It helps immensely to force oneself to think outside the box, to allow in some strangeness or magic. To that end, here are two lists. Choose one item from each list, then set pen to paper without planning ahead. Just allow whatever comes. List A. 1. Desert. 2. Cave, three, spaceship. List B, one, ball gown, two, podiatrist, three, snowman. Free write for at least 15 minutes. Be open and receptive to whatever other strangeness asserts itself. Thank you so much for that, Kathy. And Kathy has a really wonderful new newsletter that you can subscribe to for free, The Art of Flash Fiction. And you can subscribe online at artofflashfiction.substack.com. That's artofflashfiction.substack.com. And she sends craft essays and writing prompts, uh, very beautiful and helpful emails. So you'll you'll want to get on that list. And you can also find out more about Kathy and her workshops and writing at her regular website, Kathy with a K hyphen fish dot com. And um, that's today's Picalia. So uh, pick up your pens and uh, let the strangeness come out. 
Thank you so much for joining me on Mr. Bear's Violet Hour. Uh, I have a new website, thevioletourssaloon.com, where all episodes will be posted. Uh, you can also subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you want to reach out to either uh, me or Miss Mousy, you can reach us at our new email, violethourmoon at gmail.com. Uh, thanks so much to Megan Giddings, Annie Sudev, and Kathy Fish for allowing me to share their words and music. And uh, go out and look at the moon and be kind to each other. Theme song and show music by Sugar Whiskey. Mr. Bear and Miss Mousie believe in radical love and kindness, in mutual aid, and empowering ourselves and our communities. Together we can dismantle the white, racist, colonizing, misogynistic, capitalist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist patriarchy. This podcast was recorded on Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Miami, Sioux, and Peoria land. Text your zip code or city comma state to 907-312-5085 and find out whose land you're living on. Uh, you can also go to land.codeforanchorage.org. For more information, there's also a helpful map at native-land.ca. This is just the first step in developing a land acknowledgement. Let's learn our history and honor the land and indigenous peoples, past, present, and future. podcast was produced in collaboration with the Boston Free Radio Podcast Network, part of bostonfreeradio.com and Somerville Media Center, Somerville's longest running public access media center that enables a vibrant and diverse community to express its creativity, explain its ideas, share its cultures, and foster the individual right to freedom of speech. Learn more about Somerville Media Center at somervillemedia.org or check out some of the other amazing Boston Free Radio podcasts and radio shows at bostonfreeradio.com. Thanks for listening.